First Samuel chapter 21. It is amazing. One of the things about growing up in church, uh, you learn to sing songs differently. Sometimes not the way your mother would like you to sing them. Uh, but also you have different song leaders. And those last two songs, uh, I always remember the song that from Faith and Grace and how he would do to Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that last part, and then going to uh, Nancy, uh, Pastor Kitty, yeah, like, he'd always do it. My heart. We always kind of make fun of what we're doing now. Anyway. Hey, 1 Samuel chapter 21, as we continue our breakdown verse by verse of the Word of God, as we are looking at chapter 21 about slipping away. Last, not last week, but two weeks ago, we concluded about slipping away in the right place. Today we start looking at David as he slips away in the wrong place. And today we're going to talk about the people, the people you meet when you're in the wrong place. During BBS, something, something I thought was funny happened. I guess it wasn't funny to the people. But I think it was on Wednesday night, and uh, I was in my office after BBS. It was about 9, almost 9.30. So what we're doing in your office, I was laying down on the couch thinking, why are we doing this? But the phone rang in the church. And I thought, okay, uh, it was water day, so obviously some parent was upset because... I don't know how, how a child or how any person can arrive at a place with clothing and leave without that clothing. <laughs> but we had a whole basket full of clothing and towels that was left. And I figured, okay, that's probably some parent saying, where's my child's clothing? Uh, but it wasn't. On the other end was an older lady, and she was very upset. And she said, oh, thank God someone's in the church. And I said, yeah, I'm here. What, what exactly is wrong? And she said, you're not going to believe this. But me and my grandson are trapped in the park. Trapped in the park. She said, yes, they closed the gate. And they locked the gate. We were out here riding through the park. And she said, please tell me that you have a key to this other gate that's behind your church. And I said, well, ma'am, I've got good news and bad news. Number one, good news, we do have a key to that lock. And that is our lock, and that is our gate, and I can open it. She said, oh, that is wonderful. I said, but the bad news, I can't find the key. I <laughs> said, <laughs> <laughs> I've just been looking for it to put the bounce houses up, and I can't find the key. And Mary didn't know where it was at, and we can't find the key. And she goes, I'm trapped inside. And what had happened is, her and her grandson went riding through the park. But the park people, they close it at 9 o'clock. They didn't, see any, they didn't see any cars and stuff, and so they closed it, and she was trapped. And so I said, well, I said, well, let's come on. I started walking up, and I said, come over there. And I said, I think they used to have an opening over there, and you could kind of walk through it. You could come out back there. Why don't you go? And she went over there, and she said, it's closed. They don't have that opening anymore. And I said, well, that's because some people got in and cut down the trees, and there's some vandalism going on, and they must have locked it all off and stuff. And she goes, what do I do? And I said, well, I could get you a pillow. <laughs> she didn't laugh like you did at that. I said, well, I said, well, I can go get a ladder. And I thought, okay. And she's there with her grandson, who's like 11. And she was probably 70. I hope she's not seeing this. Probably 70. And she goes, I don't think that's going to work. And I said, well. And then her husband had arrived. And so we went all the way back over here. And uh, the gates have a chain on it, and there's a gap. 
And so what we did is they handed over their bikes, and me and her husband took their bikes, and that would have been comical watching him trying to get these bikes over. And then he was like, just fit through the gate. That's an opening about this much. And so that 11-year-old, and, and there's a knob thing, and the chain is here. So you not only, I risk doing this, but you not only have to skip simply, but you have to get down about this low and get through it. Well, that 11-year-old boy went, okay, Grandpa, but pop right out. And, and this grandmother who, yeah, she started doing the math and started, and I thought, oh, boy. And to her benefit, she just kind of sucked everything in. And I thought, boy, I'm going to have to run into church and get some butter. <laughs> but she got through. Now, if we hadn't been there, she'd still be laying on the ground. I'll tell you that. But she got through there, and we helped her up, and she gave me a hug, and she was like, oh, I'm so thankful. And I said, well, show up on Sunday through that. Day. But anyway, now, uh, and they got out. And uh, it was really sad and ridiculous at the same time. But I started thinking about that. It's so much what I'm going to talk with you today. They were trapped. They were in prison. And that's like a lot of people today. Trapped, imprisoned by sin, Trapped in an addiction. And the funny, maybe the worst part, that just like these people, and just like other people in their traps, they went in willfully. They went on their own volition. Nobody forced them in. They just went in and, and they thought it would look like a good time and they thought it would be a good event. And then they found themselves trapped into it. And I thought, you know, those people, there's a spiritual connection with those, that, that, that grandmother and her grandson. And they were brought in because the, 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 the bait was pleasure. The bait was entertainment. They thought that would be a fun thing. And that's what lured them in, entertainment and pleasure. Listen, how many people are suffering with addictions and pains? And how many people are divorced because they thought pleasure would be the key? And they found out that pleasure was nothing more than the bait. And now they're trapped. Yeah. And I also realized that it was easier to get in than it was to get out. And I also thought, as I was thinking about it, it was so much easier for him as a young person to get out than an older person, wasn't it? Listen, it, how many people start addictions and problems and, or marry somebody when they're young, right? Very few older people make those poor decisions. <laughs> But it's a lot harder to quit something when you're 18 than when you're 58. Amen? Amen. Ron, I love the way I sound. But I'm kind of <coughs> and I thought about some of the great theology in our children's songs. One of the great theologies that I'd like to remind you in our children's songs about, be careful little eyes what you see. But even one of the best lines in that is, be careful little feet where you go. You see, if you can learn this concept of staying out of the wrong place, it will keep you out of trouble. And look, the, the physical wrong place, those are the obvious places. I, I hope I don't have to argue with you and discuss with you why you shouldn't go into a bar. I, I don't think I need to even pull out Bible verses. I just pull out statistics of people who get in fights and bad things that happen. It's just not a good place for any type of person. There are some bad places you shouldn't go, amen? They, those are kind of the obvious, but listen, and, and for most of you here, you understand that. No, you don't go to those places, but you can find yourself in a bad spiritual place, wandering in the wilderness, and you can even be sitting right here in church, 
listening to a dashing, good-looking, intelligent pastor preach. Thank you, sir. It's always nicer when a lady amens me on that. But anyways, glad somebody finds me attractive. But you could be sitting there even in church, and you have been spiritually slipping away from God. David is slipping away from God, and now he's in the wrong place. If you're taking notes or thought today, the greatest danger of the wrong place is the people you meet. The greatest danger is the people. Again, obviously the physical wrong places. That, that's the obvious connection. Being, being in the wrong area, the wrong part of town, being in a bar. Those are very obvious. You're going to meet some wrong people, people that want to do you danger. My dad used to always say, be home by midnight. And I said, Dad, there ain't nothing at 1 o'clock you know, that I can't do at midnight, too. And he said, listen, after midnight, you are either hunting for something or you are the hunted. And I've always thought that's pretty good. And after midnight, you're either hunting or you're the hunted. And there's some obviously bad places and bad people. But when you're in the wrong spiritual place, it's going to be a lot less obvious. You're in church, but you haven't talked to God in a month. You're a believer in Jesus, but you haven't even shared your faith. You're, you're, you're so distant, you haven't prayed and opened up your word, and you're wondering why you're depressed. You're wondering why you feel like a complete give up and a complete failure. Because you found yourself in the wrong spiritual place. The people you'll meet in the wrong place will influence you. I want to just give you four things. And I, had, I had a little joy putting this together, so you'll see some alliteration here, but... I like it. Number one, the people you'll meet in the wrong place is people proud of their possessions. You know, materialism, I believe, is Satan's greatest weapon in the American church. Once you start thinking about things, you'll stop thinking and focusing on people. Let me just remind you that God blesses us with possessions so that we can bless other people with them. If God blesses you with things, bless your family with them. Bless your church family with them. Bless missionaries with them. Bless church planters with them. If God is giving you something, use that to bless other people. Amen? <laughs> Number two, people eager to entice. These people are patient. They're, they're pa Satan is patient. We don't give him this credit. He is patient and he plants little destructive time bombs in our marriages. Little destructive things in our lives, and they're just patiently waiting to destroy your family. These people are a little less obvious. Whether it's a person of an opposite gender at work, or anyone that when you're in the wrong place, these are people that are going to entice you. You see, here's the thing. As you get older, you start to think you're immune to it. Because you remember at 16 or 18, somebody inviting you to a party and putting something in your hand. You remember somebody trying to obviously get you to do things that seem so easy. Listen, Satan realizes you, you mastered that issue. But you're going to put something in someone in your life that's going to start you. You know what? You know what they do? You're really good. You're the best. You, you deserve so much more than the husband you have. Do you know that if you were dating, oh, there's so many people that would line up to date you. You're so much better than what you have. <clears throat> Slowly waiting, eagerly enticing. Number three, people acting on their addictions. 
Maybe when I say addictions, you're thinking of drinking and drugs, and you thought, okay, I'm, I'm not addicted, so I, I'm okay. Can I just give you my basic definition of addiction? Anything you have that slows down you and your relationship with God. Anything that slows it down. It, it, it could be drugs. It could be golf. Another four-letter word. It could be anything. Let me also say this. It's a desire of us to start this follow-up ministry to help people with addictions. And maybe butter and heroin don't have the same effects, but they're both addictions, aren't they? Amen? Listen, if you don't like butter, there's something wrong with you. Butter is amazing. Butter can take something as disgusting as a wheat like broccoli and turn it into dinner. But if you're here and you're addict, I don't have all the answers for you. I, I don't even have that connection with you on many of these things. I get why people are addicted to fried chicken. I don't get why people do heroin at all. But if you're here and you're an addict, I may not have the answers, but I'd like to introduce you to one who can help you, and that's Jesus. You know, with God, God never closes a door on you. A, a few nights, uh, weeks or months ago, I can't remember when, but I was walking into a Kroger. It wasn't here. It was over by my mom's house in Shelby. And I don't know what happened. But you know, they have those automatic doors, right? And they open and you can walk through. And I was going in there. It was late at night. I was going to get something. I don't remember. And I walked in and it didn't open. It didn't open. I mean, I wanted to jump up and down on it. But I thought, well, it might be saying one at a time or something. I'm like, what is going on here? It didn't open. And I kind of stepped back and I waited. And I, and then another person, this lady, walked through and it opened for her. Like, I was like, I better run in there or something. I'm like, do I not have a soul? Am I a vampire? What's going on here? And stuff. And it didn't open. You know what? I never found out what it was, Matt. I never know anything why it didn't open for me. So I might have thought I was a southerner. I don't know. But uh, it just wouldn't open. Listen. <laughs> People from Georgia, you can't trust me. It, God will never close a door on you. Uh, a religion will close a door on you. Your mother-in-law will close a door on you. Yeah. But God is never through with you. If you're struggling with an addiction, get some help. And hopefully as a church, we can help you. Number four, lastly, the people you meet in the wrong places. I always thought this would be a great Dr. Seuss book, but the people you meet in the wrong place, number four, people excited about their entertainment. If you think I'm anti-fun, you're wrong. Uh, Jim, I think it's 34 days until Michigan plays Notre Dame. Even better, I think it's like 40 days or so until the Steelers play the Browns. I'm not anti-fun. But look, guard the emotion that you're willing to invest in something. Because you only have so much you, you only have so much energy, you only have so much time, that you can leverage to do something for God. Be careful of pouring so much of you into a hobby or an event or hunting or whatever your issue, whatever thing that draws you offside, Facebook to anything, be careful investing so much into it that by the time you're done, you have nothing left to give. Amen? Amen. Look, these are the four people you meet when you're in the wrong place. And don't you wish dangerous people came with theme music? 
<laughs> Jaws was great about that. I always watched my dad. It's like I'm like seven years old. It came on TV. My dad was like, "Come here, sit down and watch this." Didn't take a bath for a month. <laughs> but when you're seven, that's easy to do. Did you hear that music? Do, 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 do. And you're always like, get out of the water. <laughs> My generation, some of you might not relate to this. You know, you hear, if you know what that is, right? You're in my generation and you wasted a lot of your life. Right? You know that that's Friday the 13th, Jason, and you watch those movies. I love scary movies. No, don't go out into the woods. What do you, don't you hear the music? Don't you wish these people came with theme music? Everybody should have theme music. That would be wonderful if you had to walk around here. Then you could spot the bad people, right? She comes over, you're at work and stuff, and that secretary, that fellow worker, the boss, whatever, she comes over to your desk, and she has music that goes, he comes over and to talk to you, you would know the but you, not everybody has theme music. No one does. But these are the people you're meeting, so you have to be on guard for the wrong person. But you will always meet the wrong person when you're in the wrong place. Warnings about the wrong people. We're going to focus on today just one verse, verse 7. We're going to break this verse down. Warnings about the wrong people you'll meet. Number one, they are devoted to the wrong cause. They're devoted to the wrong cause. George Cherick said this one time, and I, I, I thought about it, and I have to agree with him. I don't know why, and I can't stand when people put stuff on the back of their car. I don't care about your political beliefs while we're driving down 75. I don't care that you have a Yorkie. Good for you. I don't care. I don't care that you, your other dog is a cat. I don't care how many children you have on your little thing. Nobody cares about any of that. But it's amazing, and I don't care how many miles you ran. Listen, whatever, how many miles you ran, I can go farther because I have a car. I'm an adult. I can drive a car. I don't have to run. Well, I want to get one of those, they have those, those 26.2, which is a marathon, then 13.1, then 10K, you can put those little bumper stickers. I want to get one that just says zero. And underneath, because I'm not stupid. Anyways. Come on, children. Have some fun here. Everybody's got some cause. You can't go on Facebook without somebody posting their political views or why your child shouldn't get immunizations or why you should be part of that. Everybody's got a cause. Wrong people are connected and devoted to the wrong cause. Look at verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. In verse 7, we're going to find out that this man is by the name, by the name of Doeg. He is a devoted, not just a servant, he is a devoted servant of King Saul. You can learn a lot about a person by who they follow, who they like to mimic. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. When I was a student pastor, I always called it the uh, uh, poster verse, the sports poster verse. Because young people like to put posters up, whether it be a the new kids on the block. Anybody remember that? Mm -hmm. yeah, you're old. You're old. <laughs> 
uh, or Michael Jordan or anything else like that. I'm showing how old I am and stuff. When I was a kid, I had Terry Bradshaw on my wall and stuff like that. You put up posters and stuff like this, and these are your idols. These are people you're following. Well, Ephesians 5.1 says this, be ye followers of God as dear children. And that word followers in the original language means literally means to mimic them. Your sports teams, your idol, your person you're following, the person you're dressing like, you're supposed to be devoted to God. As an adult, you think, well, Pastor Steve, yeah, that's right. You need to talk at 11 o'clock to these teenagers and everything else. Yeah, but how many adults do I know bought a new car just because someone else has it? <clears throat> bought a new phone because you had to have the latest thing. You had to have this. You are mimicking someone. Listen, this is why fellowship is so important. By the way, fellowship is not a Greek word for potluck. <laughs> the Bible says that fellowship is iron sharpening iron. That's why it's so important that you be part of a church. That's why it's so important you be part of a smaller group of believers inside that church, whether it be a Sunday school class. Matt is teaching. Uh, Ed and, and Rick are out of town, so Matt is our teacher at 11 o'clock. And all the old ladies went, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, no. <laughs> you need to be part of a Sunday school class. You should be part of a Wednesday night group. You should be part of something that's smaller because it's very easy to hide in here. How are you having fellowship with other believers if you're not allowing the iron to hit your iron? Be careful of the people that are devoted to the wrong cause. Dove was devoted to King Saul. Here's what's wrong with that. Dove was a devoted servant of King Saul. God rejected Saul. You are devoting yourself to things that God is saying are useless, are worthless, or I want nothing to do with. Be careful of the people devoted to the wrong cause. Number three, they are tied to the wrong trend. Look back at verse seven again. Detained before the Lord, and his name was Dove, and look at this little fact added by him, an Edomite. The word Edomite doesn't mean anything to us. It just kind of maybe goes right over your head. And uh, Maybe for some of you, for those of you right with God, if I say the word Buckeye, maybe that will make, oh, you know what? Just a, just a joke, my fellow Ohioans. Um, the word Edomite means nothing to us, but for the Israelites, it meant everything. Uh, who are the Edomites? Well, before you put this up, hold on a second, right? Uh, in Genesis 36, 20, you can find the beginning of the Edomites. Uh, you know that Jacob is the father of Israel. And eventually he will change his name to Israel. But his twin brother Esau, Esau is the father of the Edomites. And he will change his name eventually to the Edomites and is known as Edom. That's who it is. Those, those people, the, the twin brothers who were warring inside their mother's womb. These people are contrary to God's people. And so the Edomites represent a few, few things. First, they represent people opposed to God knowing his people. All right, we leave Genesis 30 and we fast forward to Numbers chapter 20. When we get into Numbers chapter 20, the children of Israel have been left is, in Egypt. Remember the Ten Commandments move is Charles, uh, Charlton Heston, right? He looks Jewish. Charlton Heston and Moses and stuff. They've left Egypt and they've come into the promised land. Well, the king of Eden, Edom would not let them pass through his lands. Next, we go into 1 Samuel 14 and we find out that the Edomites represent people opposed to God grounding his people. 
In 1 Samuel 14, again, in Saul's early reign, they will cast, they will start to war against Israel. As soon as Israel starts to gather as a nation, the Edomites go out to war to stop them. And lastly here, the Edomites represent people opposed to God expanding his people. Opposed to God expanding his people. Do you want to know if a person is a right person or a wrong person? If they are a person to bring into your inner circle, look, you can diagram it however you want to illustrate it, but basically there's you, there's a next circle, there's a next circle, there's a next circle, and you have a layer of people that influence you and get closer. You want to know if that type of person is a person that you should go from just an acquaintance into the next friend circle, into the next close friend, into an intimate You want to know if you should change your relationship status with this person and bring them closer to you? Ask yourself these questions. Do they want me to know God more? Do they want me to become more grounded in God's word? And they do, do they want me to expand my faith or decrease my faith? That's the question to ask you about these people. You see, some people might answer, well, no, they're not positively helping me. But pastor, they're not like the Edomites. They're not actively opposing me to stop you. Is that how you want to be married? You want to be married where you're basically dragging a dead corpse with you spiritually? Do you want to be married where you're basically kind of on it alone and you have no encouragement? You see, the Bible says this, can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be, well, one is agreed and the other's just sort of like Switzerland during all those wars, neutral. Yeah, we're just not going to pick a side, right? By the way, how do they get away with that? How do you just say that to the Nazis? Yeah, we're just not going to pick a side. We're okay, right? But anyways, I don't know why that came to my mind when I put it just there. So. But they're not against me doing these things. Listen, if they're not for God, then they're against God. Amen. You want to know if they're the right person to marry? You want to know if they're the right person to get close to and allow you to get close? Are they going to encourage you to know God? Are they encourage you to know God's word? Are they going to encourage you to expand God's word? Or are they going to pull you away? If they're not, stop confiding in that person. They're not going to give you good advice. Stop dating him. Amen. Well, Pastor, he's saved. The Bible says we're supposed to marry only believers. So he's saved. So I have that when, as a student pastor all the time. Some girl, they hear, now I was big on it. Don't date an unsaved person. You don't because you're going to marry them. And so that was a big thing in our student ministry and stuff. Like I said, I'd say, I can always tell how important Jesus is to you by who you date. If you're willing to date somebody that say he's not that important to you. And so some girl would always bring in some cute guy, right? And they'd bring him in and be like, all right. And coach him, tell him. And he'd go, uh, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. Okay, so I talk with him, try to talk him out of it and see and stuff. And he gets saved, and now she'd be like, no, we can date. <laughs> Let me say this to you. Just because he's saved doesn't mean he's right for you. Just because she's saved doesn't mean she's right for you. But she's cute. That doesn't mean she's right for you. He said, Pastor Steve, why are you telling senior citizens this? Because some of you need to hear this. <laughs> Amen? Just because they're saved doesn't mean they're good enough. <clears throat> if they're not helping you, eventually they're going to oppose you. 
He may help you now before you get married, but after a while, he's going to drag you down. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Is that person helping you to know God more? Helping you to grow and grounded in his word? Helping you expand your faith? You know what? This can happen in a church. My goal, they're saying, I want you to understand what my goal. My goal is for people about this church, is for people to hear more about Jesus and to know they must be born again and he is the only way for them to go to heaven. Amen. That's my number one goal. Well, theological things and all that other stuff are important to me. Don't walk away here and say, Pastor Steve doesn't care about theological error or anything else. No, those are important. Pastor Steve doesn't have standards or anything else. I probably have more than you on some silly things and stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. But that is not my number one goal. My number one goal is for people to hear about Jesus. It's for people to study God's word. Why study God's word? Because it's beautiful literature and it's ancient scriptures. and No, I want you to study God's word because this reveals Jesus to you. That's the only reason to study it. That's the only reason to memorize it. It's not because it's on par with Shakespeare or some other ancient manuscript or anything else. No, the only reason is that God's breathed inspired word and it reveals Jesus to you. You don't need Pastor Steve. He's awesome. But you don't need Pastor Steve. You don't need Oakland Woods. What you need first and foremost is Jesus. Yeah. You say, well, Pastor Steve, how could that cause conflict? Really? Because not everybody, that's their goal. I want people to know Jesus. I want people to study God's word because it reveals Jesus. And I want the next generation to find Jesus. Yeah. You see, some people's goals are things like budgets. Well, Pastor, you went over budget. I mean, yes. Yes, we went over budget. I mean, yes. Yeah. We spent more than we were planning to do. Yes. But six, 16 kids got saved. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you tell me 16 kids will get saved every time we go over budget. We will go over budget every week. Sometimes people want to protect their kingdom. Sometimes people, good intentions, want to keep the building safe. Look, you want to keep this building clean and safe? Don't let children in there. <laughs> <laughs> they are little monsters of destruction. Glenn was over here this week, and I want to thank you publicly. Glenn went through and cleaned all the windows. And then Sunday, or today, he just came in. So I was telling him, hey, you can see all the little handprints on the door and stuff. You know, Glenn, you know what those handprints? Those aren't senior citizens down there going, hey. <laughs> Now, some of you are going to do that today, you little. <laughs> but anyways, those aren't senior citizens. Those are little handprints of little kids. And unfortunately, most of those little kids were probably mine. You know what? We're not about budgets. Our number one goal is about being a denomination. Our number one goal is about lifting up Jesus, sharing Jesus, studying Jesus, and giving Jesus to the next generation. You'll get conflict in that. Number three, warnings about the wrong people. They are jealous of the wrong goals. Look back at verse 7. The chiefest of the herdsmen that belong to Saul. Why do you think they mentioned this? Not everybody's occupation is mentioned in the Bible. In fact, rarely do they throw in the occupation. By the way, this is what he did for a living. Rarely is that mentioned. So I'll ask you this question. What did David do for a living before this? A shepherd. 
David's a little shepherd boy, and it mentions here that Dove, who's a dangerous person to David, is also a herdsman. I think there's some jealousy going on. I think there's some jealousy of Dove. He has to be thinking, I've been a shepherd for 40 years. I've been doing this my whole life. And here this kid, I mean, I'm a herdsman. I'm a master craftsman at watching sheep. If there's anything like that for watching sheep, I think we just make sure they don't die. It's much like children, right? So how do I know if I'm a good parent? Are your kids alive? Yes, but you're a good parent. So, um, at least that's how I do it. But anyway. And he's thinking, I've been doing this for 40 years. I'm in the union. I've got a journeyman card. And all of a sudden, this kid who's only been out in the field for a couple of weeks and stuff, he's going to be the next king? I don't think so. Look, jealousy can be a good thing. Jealousy can be a good thing. I was kind of dating my wife in college, and she wanted to go more exclusive and stuff. I know she did this on purpose. She wanted to go more exclusive, but yeah, I'd been in a couple of relationships before, and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do any of that. And I was just kind of keeping my options available, and she'd sit by me all the time in chapel, and I'd be like, all right, let's go out. You're, you're cute, and you're beautiful and stuff. So anyway, and I'm kind of keeping my options available and stuff. And all of a sudden, this guy, Dale, from Oklahoma, Kept coming up and asking her questions about homework. Now, look, 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 if you know my wife, you're not going to ask her about homework stuff because she didn't take it too serious, all right? Started asking her some different other things about assignments. Started showing up at the cafeteria when we were eating and talking to her and sitting down across from her while I'm sitting next to her. And I'm looking at Dale and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, what are you doing? I know what you're doing. This went on for about a week until finally I knew where Dale was at. I knew, where, I knew where he parked, and I saw him in the parking lot, and I made a beeline for him, and I approached him. This might not make me look good in your eyes, but I approached him, and I pushed him back, and I said, I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm getting tired of you talking to Sandra Flores. He goes, well, what's it to you? And I said, she's my girlfriend. And if you talk to her again, you're going to find out what this parking lot looks like upside down. <laughs> He never talked to her again. Now we're married. <laughs> she knew what she was doing. I know women. I have women all in my house. I know how evil everyone is. <laughs> I know how you talk. Slowly try to change us. I know how we work. See, sometimes jealousy can be a good thing. It can make you realize what you have right in front of you is the best thing you've ever found. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, about God. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealous. It is a jealousy for the zeal to follow God. But that's not Doe's jealousy, is it? It's not a good jealousy. It's not a jealousy to see you get closer to Jesus. Doe's first goal should have been to know God. I just want to know God. Let me ask you this. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Oh, Pastor Steve's July going on August. Most people are on vacations. Why would you tell a 930 service about knowing Christ as your personal Savior? Because it's so easy to sit in the church week after week and never having made your own personal decision to accept Christ as your personal Savior. When I say that, I'm not saying turn your back and say that. I'm not saying fall in love with Jesus or anything. That is not the words I'm doing. 
I am saying that you are a sinner separated from God for all eternity if you don't take care of it. You were conceived in sin, you were born in sin, sir, man, you are a sinner. Have you accepted what Jesus did on the cross as the payment for your sin today? Paul says with the mouth, confession is made. That means we pray, we call upon God to say, have you specifically done that? The first thing Doe should have been saying is, I want to know God. The next thing he should have said is, I want to serve him. Where has God put you? The sovereignty of God. You are never in the wrong place if you are in God's will. You are never in the wrong place if you are in God's will. And lastly, Doe should have been saying, I want to bring others to you. I want to bring other people to know him. Listen, before our invitation, are you in the right place where God wants you to be?